running right out after service, you cannot have one. <laughs> On top of that, somebody that people the stock, God bless you. You know that I love those crazy socks. Uh, so it has become a little bit of a joke. People ask me what kind of socks you're wearing today. Uh, and I do, I have something new and different all the time. I have to change the dinosaur to Operation Christmas Child socks. So today it's the scripture stock. I have scripture on those socks today. But you might even see dogs on those crazy socks. So thank you for blessing me. Thank you for thinking of me. Do everything that you know who you are. And let me tell you right now, you are a true father. Let's be the name of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is so good to see each and every one of you. Nice to see that smile on your face. And it 
If you would, please make your way back to your seats. I have a few more announcements I need to share with you. Two more announcements I need to share with you. Since I have your attention now, I want to remind you that uh, we do have the ability to provide a couple of tickets. So somebody's asked me, said, Pastor, what if I want to go to the Live, Laugh, and Love fundraiser for the youth, but I can't afford to go? Somebody has generously donated the cheap tickets. Not a lot of them, but if you want to go and can't afford to go, let the office know, and we will make sure you get that ticket. So we've got a few that we can give out to you in that. All right. Also, I'm going to remind you that uh, the youth group needs your prayers as they get ready to go to winter camp at the end of this month. So keep them in your prayers in there. And I think that's all I have for now. Brother Mark, come on up. Thank you. 
Wow. Thank you, Brother Glenn. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. Sometimes we forget how blessed we are. How much we have here at Rock Seventy Baptist Church. We are very, very, very blessed. Our children depart. Seems like the front row gets so empty. messages, the three deadly deeds. Three deadly deeds. And I had a, a lot of fun writing this message, so I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. I have this, right now, this annoying little echo in this. Y'all hear that? So, so if I say it twice, just remember it's the echo, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. I will do that right after service. I will. Some of you are welcome to join me. There's plenty in the box there, but I'm telling you, you're only going to get half a Twinkie. I don't get box of Twinkies very often. They have an extremely long shelf life and have been known to survive nuclear bombs. It is right, Luke. That's right. What's inside of Twinkie? We don't know. Now this morning's message is, of course, the three deadly days. And we began this sermon series, if you will. It's kind of a series, kind of not a series. Uh, we began this series two weeks ago. And remember, we began looking at 2024 challenges to the church. We started out with a sermon uh, about two weeks ago called The Broken Altar. And we took a look at Elijah on top of Mount Carmel, and we took it to altar that he prepared there. And we took that as a picture of a challenge to the church today. A challenge where we want to see God work in our country. And I know right now we could say amen again on that. I want to see God work in our White House. I want to see God work in the family houses. I want to see God work in the schoolhouses. Somebody say amen this morning. And we have got to, as his people, get back to doing his will. And if we look inside of that story, inside of that picture of the prophet Elijah, Eliyahu, as we look into him, he steps up and he repairs the altar. And we looked at that as our first spiritual truth on how we need to repair the altar in our lives. And some of us have broken down altars and broken for years. No matter they've broken down because we put upon that altar things that shouldn't be there. We put upon it veil worship, idol worship, alcoholism, drug abuse, pornography, whatever you put on your altar, it's breaking it down. What you need to put on the altar is the praise of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing as God's people. That's where we are, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. So we began that with repairing that altar and how that's a challenge to us and how I believe, as Pastor Robertson Avenue, that's going to be a challenge for the church, not just Robertson Avenue, but the church throughout the United States this year, of keeping that altar dedicated to God. In fact, it is right now quite a challenge 
to keep things dedicated to God. In fact, as we look at it, now I'm not preaching against anybody, so don't think that way here, but as we look at church programming in the year 2024, we are moving more and more from God and more and more toward entertainment. More and more toward, hey, we got to build a baseball team to have a church. No! Churches are not baseball teams. Churches are spiritual. And when they're not spiritual, they die. Somebody say amen. When it's not built on God's Word, where Jesus Christ is the head of the church, then churches die. So we began looking at that, and we began looking at that challenge of how we need to rebuild that altar. And some of us still need to rebuild the altar. We looked at it for a church, and we looked at it as an individual in our lives. As fathers inside our houses, we need to rebuild that altar, where we've allowed that altar to get broken down. Uh, some of us have turned altars into things where it ought not be, haven't we? We made altars in places that shouldn't be there. And we say, well, that must be church. I made it into an altar. Wrong. That's not church. That is a place where it ought not be church. And that's why God isn't speaking to you there. So we discussed the need for individuals to repair the altars in their lives. And, of course, the second sermon last week, we took a look at what kind of friends to avoid. Remember, we looked at the user and those people that will use Christians and those people that will abuse Christians and those people that manipulate Christians. We looked at a manipulator and, of course, we looked at our personal favorite, the frenemy. What is a frenemy? The person who acts like a friend but deep down inside despises you. And let me tell you, they are plentiful in modern-day churches today. They hide under the guise of Christianity and really what they're doing is praying that God will get you out. And so we have learned a lot of spiritual truths in there about how we don't trust people who hang out with those who oppose God and God's Word. And incidentally, if that's where you are in your Christian walk today, I want to remind you that you need to repair that altar and you need to get back to where you have a friend closer than a brother, one that sticks closer than a brother, and that's Jesus Christ. You need to get back to where Jesus is. This morning, we're going to continue looking at those thoughts. And we're going to continue looking at our 2024 challenges by examining the three deadly deeds. And so, I had a lot of fun with that this week. And some of the first things that came to my mind here at Rockland Baptist Church, the number one deadly deed is decaffeinated. Amen. You can't have that. Decaffeinated. No. So, uh, in fact, I got an amen from the chairman of the deacons in the back there. Praise God. <laughs> I get a raise on that, right? <laughs> Matthew 7, 24 is where we're going to start out. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be verses 24 to 27. We're going to start there, but we're not going to stay there. I'm going to move through this kind of quickly because we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. So if I get to talking fast, just listen fast. Amen. If I get to speaking a little too fast, say, Pastor, I want the PowerPoint, and I will give you the PowerPoint. Give it to you. Matthew 7, 24. Let's begin. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Let's go to the Lord and say, shall we? Our Father who art in heaven, as we come to you now in Jesus' name, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is indeed quick. And it is powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray right now, Lord God, your word will cut into our hearts, for it's the discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you would make known to us, Lord, that we already know, but you would convict us, Lord God, of our evil thoughts, Lord, or of our impure thoughts, or our impure intentions, Lord God. And let today be the day we repent 
and come to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, if there be anyone this morning that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, that they be the day they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ, the living Savior. And I pray, Lord God, if there be anyone that needs to be a part of Robert Stanley, that they be that day. I want to give you praise, I want to give you honor, and I want to give you the glory. And I ask you, Lord God, to do a work in our hearts this morning. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at our first beat. But before we do that, we've got to talk just a little bit about the house built on the rock. Of course, you know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about if you will build your spiritual dwelling upon the words that I say, it's never going to fall. How many of you know that God's word does not come back void? How many of you know that His Word is the only thing that's going to endure? Well, the heavens are going to pass away. The earth is going to pass away. The grass and the flower are going to fade away. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. Somebody say amen this morning. If you get excited, I'm going to get excited. We're going to have revival now. Be careful. All right. So we're looking at what it means to be standing on God's Word. Remember, we started out looking about rebuilding an altar. We also started out looking at the kind of people we should avoid. That doesn't mean we don't try to win them to Christ. That means that's the people we don't build God's kingdom on. We build God's kingdom on God's word, upon what God says, not upon people and their abilities. And that's where the church goes wrong most of the time. And that's why we have to be reminded sometimes that we have people who aren't necessarily our friends. Now, back into our message this morning, as we're looking at building things on God's Word, let's look at that first deadly deed. Remember, Jesus says, if you are a wise man, you're going to build it upon my Word. If you're a foolish man, you're going to build it on the sand, and whatever you build is going to fall. Now, first deadly deed in a Baptist church, as most people would say, Pastor Joshua, that's got to be decaffeinated coffee. No, you're absolutely positively wrong. Maybe you might say, well, what is that D? Well, I believe that D in a Christian's life or in a church's life is deliberate disobedience. And unfortunately, churches are walking in that today. Unfortunately, believers are walking in deliberate disobedience today. What do I mean by that? This right here is what I mean by it. When you can put aside God's Word and go along with what the world wants, then we are walking in deliberate disobedience. And that is the first deadly deed we're looking at this morning. So let's take a look at what deliberate disobedience is. Now, my definition of it is, this is my personal thoughts on it, when a church or an individual believer falls into deliberate disobedience, what we are actually doing is telling God it doesn't matter. Your Word doesn't matter. Your church doesn't matter. In fact, what we're telling God is you don't matter. Does that describe you this morning? Perhaps you're online and you're saying, Pastor, I've been looking for a church that will address that. Well, let me tell you, Robertson Avenue will address that fact. There are three deadly deeds we need to be on the lookout for as Christians, as husbands, as mothers, as teachers, as deacons and preachers, and as witnesses and evangelists in America today. We need to remember that we are to be obedient to Christ and to His mission, and nothing else matters. Can I get an amen on that? When we deliberately disobey, when we deliberately have disobedience, what we're telling God is, you don't matter. You don't matter. Have you ever deliberately disobeyed God? I remember when I was a kid, I deliberately disobeyed my mom once. And when she put her hands upon me, I learned why I should not do that. <laughs> Somebody said, think I would Well, yeah, I did. I did wish I was dead. How about that? When we deliberately disobey God, a lot of things happen. 
Now, some of you may say, Pastor, I'd love to go through this spiritual lesson with you. I'd love to go through this teaching with you. But can you break it down in a nutshell? I'm going to do that quickly. Now, what happens when we deliberately disobey God? Number one, the first thing that happens is we get convicted. We get convicted. You got a pen of pencil? You need to write this down quickly. We get convicted. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you starts convicting you. And you, as a Christian, might know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Perhaps you're online. You're saying, I've been looking for that. I've been looking for someone to answer that. Why do I feel guilty when I deliberately disobey God? Well, hello, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to convict you. And we've got a choice then as a Christian. We can start by repenting and moving back toward God, or we can tell the Holy Spirit, you don't matter. Some of us have done that, unfortunately. Some of us are doing that right now. Less than fortunate. What happens when we tell the Holy Spirit your conviction doesn't matter? Well, we begin then by hurting the offending the Holy Spirit. We begin by hurting it. We begin by telling the Holy Spirit, you don't matter. It's kind of like this. Some of you are big National Football League fans. So let me tell you, I love Robertson having me for that. I love chiding you guys on it and kidding you guys with it. I love poking fun at the Dallas Cowboys. There's too much subject matter there not to poke fun at them. However, what would happen if the two opposing teams got out on the field? And that guy that's dressed in black and white, nowadays a girl, dressed in black and white out on the field, started blowing the whistle because it's been an infraction of the rules, but none of the players listened. What do you think that referee would do? That referee would eventually say, nobody's listening. I'm going to get up and walk away, won't they? I'm going to get up and go sit down. They're not listening to me. And I want you to know, Christian, when you deliberately disobey the Holy Spirit, when we hurt the Holy Ghost, when we offend the Spirit, what we're telling the Holy Spirit is you don't matter. Your conviction doesn't matter. Now, I'm not telling the Holy Spirit to leave you. I don't believe that at all. What I do believe, though, is we start searing our conscience. That means we take a hot iron. Now, we're just coming out of some cold stretches here in Texas, and my boys, I got four of them at home, as you know, uh, when we start a fire in the fireplace, they're always gathered around the fireplace. Not because they're cold, not because they want to get warm, because they want to see what burns up. Boy, you know, amen. In a Baptist church. And they love to stick that fire poker in the fire till the end glows red hot. And of course, I'll remind them if you touch that thing, you're going to be spotted. When we offend the Holy Spirit in our lives, we sear our conscience, the Bible says, as with a hot iron. And what that means is, is we start cauterizing ourselves. We cauterize conviction. The Holy Spirit moves in our lives and we sear it with a hot iron that says, you don't matter. Have you been guilty of that this morning? Have you been guilty of doing that? This is what we're talking about in the year 2024. The challenges we're going to face. Number one, if the church is still led by Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is still talking to us by His Word and by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. He's still leading us. He's still guiding us. He's still directing us. And we have to learn to be convicted by the Spirit. means we must repent. That means we've got work to do. We've got changes to make. And we've got a Lord to seek. Now, that's in a nutshell, short picture of what happens when a Christian deliberately disobeys God. But I want you to look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. And let's get a picture of one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. Of course, he's one of my favorite guys. His name is King David. King David. 
King David. And let me tell you, there's so much to point out on David. And I don't think we're spending enough time pointing out the good things in David's life. And he's an amazing individual. But let's take a look here today at somebody who deliberately disobeyed. And incidentally, because David deliberately disobeyed, we're going to come back to him in the end and look at the hope we have as Christians when we disobey. God can forgive us. Look at me in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9. Why, this is Nathan the prophet, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? Why are you telling God, I don't matter? Why are you telling God your word doesn't matter, your commands don't matter? Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Let me give you a quick background shot of what's happening here in King David's life. Some of you know from reading uh, 2 Samuel where King David is. He's getting a little bit complacent. He's getting a little bit fat. That means he's had one too many twinkies, y'all. As he's getting fat, though, he's getting happy and he's getting a little bit... Well, you know, things are old. The devil can't get in here. The enemy can't get in here. God's with me. God will never leave me nor forsake me. We got this, baby. The Bible tells us that the time comes for kings throughout the world. Can I tell you something, Dad? There's a time for dads to get up and go to work. Somebody go like this. There's a time for dads to discipline their children. Somebody go like this. There's a time for dads to love their wives. There's a time for you to be a spiritual leader. And there was a time for King David to get with his army and lead them out to victory once again. And David said, I'm going to sit this one out, baby. I'm a little bit cold. I'm a little bit tired. I'm a little bit old. And by the way, I've already done it. I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. He let Joab lead the army out. All that happens, you know the background. The time of some cleansing of some women come around. Now, biblically, what we're talking about there is when a woman would finish a monthly cycle. I know this is a little uncomfortable to talk about, but just bear with me for just a second. And they would go to the river and purify themselves. And David happened to see a woman there. And that woman caught his eye. I want you to know there's something spiritual to learn from that. Number one, if he catches your eye and it's not godly, you better get away from it. Amen. You better move on from it. However, David goes back into the castle, back into his palace, and says, Who is that maiden? Let me tell you, everybody in the castle knows who she is. And I'll tell you what they were doing. That's right. Oh, that's Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Her name is Jesus. Bath means daughter. Shema means perfection. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, she was up to her name. She is gorgeous. And David says, man, I got to have her for dinner. That's right. I'll just check her out, and I can handle it. Not a problem. I'll just get an eyeful and let her go. No, 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 no. You can't handle it. I need it for David. She got there. One thing led to another. And adultery. You think sin comes in just out of nowhere? No, you got to invite it into your life. you got to see it with your eye and say, man, that looks good. you got to pluck it from the tree and bring it up to your... Well, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. It's deliberate disobedience. Exactly what it is. Deliberate disobedience. Of course, 
as fate would have it. And I, I mean, I think this is a marvelous thing. How many of you know what the Bible tells us? That's the jury just didn't find you out. And it did. Actually, right there with a note says, Guess what? I'm with child. And David, the songwriter, David, the giant killer, David, the preacher, the spiritual leader. David, the one they sang songs about, saying David has killed 10,000. Well, Saul's only killed thousands. David is tens of thousands. The one who celebrated, leader of Israel. Down in Gold. He says, I got to find a way to touch him. You know what he does? He sends a note. Eventually, back with Uriah. He brings Uriah back to the house. Talks to Uriah, tries to get Uriah to go be with his wife. Uriah says, I can't do it. It's against the law of Moses. Can't do this. I'm in holy war at this moment. I am in the time where kings go out to battle. David deliberately disobeyed and started right in there. Uriah refuses. David says, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to have to marry Bathsheba. But in order to do that, i got to have Uriah killed. And he does. He sends a note to Joab. And Joab, of course, follows his Lord's orders. And what they do is they start a battle, they start a fight, and then the rest of the Israelite forces pull away from Uriah, leaving Uriah all by himself to take on an army. What do you think happened? This is Nathan's response as he walks in. He gives a wonderful illustration. Some of you should reread that illustration. He says, oh, David, there once was a rich man, and that rich man had lamb and 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 sheep and sheep and sheep and sheep and sheep and goats and goats and goats and goats and servants and servants and servants. You got the idea. He's Donald Trump rich. Right? You live next door to a guy who had one. Lamb. However, it was a beautiful lamb. Of course, that rich man was visited by some friends and neighbors. They said, Man, let's have a barbecue. And this guy's like, I don't mind having a barbecue, but I enjoy having 75,000 sheep. I don't want 7,499 of them. I'm just going to reach over the fence, grab this lamb, and we'll have lamb chops. You know what happened? I'm paraphrasing. He does. David actually comes unglued. Hey, whoever did this, that guy's going to die. But before he dies, he's going to restore fourfold. Because he knows what the law says. It's actually written in the law. You steal from one of these things like brother, you must restore it fourfold. David knows what the law says. And that's what he picked up in verse 9. And Nathan the prophet, Nahan the prophet, says, Thou art the man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? Why are you deliberately disobeying the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You're a murderer, David. And on top of that, you're an adulterer. And also, just in case you forgot it, you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. See, when it comes to sin, like David, we always tell ourselves, smaller than the other years. We always say, it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. Y'all enjoy that song we sang a few minutes ago? Beautiful song, Brother Mark led us in it. You know, it says, How sweet you hold, you know what? A newborn baby. Right? Because of this. You know why that song? 
there. It's written by the gatekeepers. Christ, the gatekeepers, Bill and Gloria, they said, you know, they write that song. It's a time of political turmoil in the United States. You think it's bad right now? We have forgotten what it was like in the late 60s, early 70s when the protests against Vietnam and the racial riots were everywhere. Bill and Gloria Gaither went to visit somebody. I bet you that we love. He's in the, he's in the Christian world today. Writes books, has sermons on radios, and everybody loves him. And he and his wife are having a baby. Bill and Gloria Gaither said, Of course, that family said, because we believe in Jesus. And after a little while, Gloria Ginter sat down and wrote verse 2. This is how we live. That's why we have how to be A newborn baby. Must be Pastor Drew Putnam. Dr. David Jeremiah. Could you bring a child into this world with a political turmoil and the world turning over on itself? And some of you might be asking that question right now. How could we continue to live in a world where everything's falling apart? And you might be saying, Pastor, how could somebody deliver this sin against God? You know what? We end up telling ourselves, sin is small. What we do is we tell God, it's just a moment deal. Why are you fussing about it? And God is telling us it's not a molehill, it's a mountain. See, we want to tell God, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. But really, what we're trying to do is make a molehill out of a mountain. Because when we deliberately disobey, when we tell God, you don't matter, what we're really telling God is, I know more than you do. What we're really telling God is, I've got this and you're not needed. You know what that is biblically? It starts with an I. It's the oldest sin in the book. It's older than prostitution, y'all. It is I, God of And when we deliberately disobey, we put ourselves in front of God. Let's look at our second deed. Second deed. This one may sound similar in deliberate disobedience, but it's not. It's disrespectful defiance. If you ever worked in the public school system, you know this one well. Watch this. Disrespectful defiance. You ever been in the United States military? You know what this is as well. You ever worked in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice? You know what disrespectful defiance is. Let me give you a picture of what that is. When a church or individual defies God, when we what we are actually saying is, God, I know what you said, but I just don't want. I don't want to do that. That's too much like work. That's too much like work. You ever heard, heard the old story about the man who decided he wanted a bear skin coat? So he loaded up his rifle and he loaded up his car, plenty of canteens, plenty of rations in his car, a tent, and he drove out to the Alaskan country. And when he got there, he stepped out of his car, expecting to see a bear. He waited, he waited. And the longer he waited, the colder he got. And the more he got cold, the more he wanted that bare skin coat. I want that bare skin coat badly, he said. And lo and behold, 
a bear came out of nowhere. And that man threw his rifle to his shoulder. And the bear said, Whoa, wait a minute. Can we talk about this? Can we talk a little bit about it? The man lowered his rifle. He said, Yeah, we can talk about it. And the bear said, What do you want? And the, bear said, and the man said, I want a bear skin coat. And the bear said, All I want is lunch. Maybe we can make a deal. Well, as you probably know, what happened when he lowered that rifle? The bear had lunch, and the man had a bearskin coat inside the belly. Amen. What happened? Well, we tell God, I don't want to do it, and we decide that the world is better without God's way or without God's word, then what we're doing is giving an invitation to the devil to eat us for lunch. How many of you know what the Bible says? The devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if we'll get outside and lower the rifle or lower our sword, the word of God, then we're going to make a deal with the devil. And we're the ones that are going to be eaten up. Look with me in Leviticus 10, verse 1 2. Let's take a look at a picture here quickly now. Then Nadab and Abihu. I know we're jumping all over the Bible, so we're turning quickly to Leviticus. That's the third book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10, 1 to 3. And some of you know this here. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and he died before the Lord. Let me give you a word of description quickly now. Propane fire. Some people say, well, it's fire offered to another God. No, it wasn't. It was irreverence. They went in there with a nonchalant attitude. They went in there saying, look, dude, let's get this thing over so we can get back to our football game. Let's get our Christian duty done so let's get back. You want to know why? You aren't hearing God speaking nowadays? You want to know why God isn't moving in your life? You want to know why God isn't moving in the local churches today? And it's because we are deliberately defiant of God's work. We've turned this house into community centers. We've turned this house into anything but churches. And a church is a place where we worship God, where we sing praise to His holy and righteous name, where we see the lost get saved, where we sick get whole, where we see Jesus Christ glorified, magnified, lifted up on high. And when we start doing Doing that again, there's a rod will kick in the door to come in. So he had an attitude of profane, profane fire, irreverent fire from the Lord. And the Bible tells us the fire from the Lord came out and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Come to God, it's not because look, dude, I want to get this over with. Because I know what you've done for me, God. Because you've done it for me, I'll do it for you. See, when it comes to sin, like the first time, when we try to make a mountain into a molehill, when we are deliberately defiant, and guess what we do? Like Nadab and Abraham, we try to make sin into well, God understands. You ever see those people walking around with that t shirt because God knows my heart? I want to tell them, and you know it. He most certainly does. And if you read his word, you're going to find out your heart is the most deceptive thing in you. Your heart will lead you astray. How about this one? You ever had somebody say, hey, God knows what time it is. God knows what time it is and what i got to do. He understands me. Let me tell you what God knows. 
God knows every intent of your heart. God knows every thought of your mind. God knows everything you've ever done in the past. God knows who you are. In fact, the Bible says He knows every hair on your head. He knows. In fact, and we're deliberately defiant when we tell God, is, I just don't want to do it. I know I should be doing it, but I just don't want to. Let's look at our last week. We looked at the first one. Being, then redeemed. Look at our second one again. Then redeemed, and our third one. Deliberately dishonored. Deliberate dishonored. In fact, that describes modern day politicians. I want to say amen. When a church or individual is deliberately dishonored, what they are really saying is God knows what no one else does. Trust to look good in Nobody else knows what I'm doing. No one else knows what I'm doing on Friday night. No one else knows I drive to Hunter Heights. I drive to Waco. I drive to uh, Austin. I drive to Dallas. Nobody knows. Look at this. Look at this. Dishonesty includes deception, omission. We can do that sometimes. Deliberately omitting something to mislead somebody is dishonesty. Did you know that? Misleading somebody on purpose and mischaracterization. When you lead somebody to think something differently than what is true, you are dishonest. And incidentally, this is not an exhausting list. So look at me in Genesis 37. Turn back to Genesis. That's from Leviticus 37, verses 31 to 36. We're looking at the three deadly deeds. We're looking at the challenges. We're going to have in the year 2024. We're looking at how we need to be obedient, how we need to be reverent in God's house, and how we need to be honest. I want to start right now by telling the world you can't be a lover of the world and a lover of God at the same time. Look at me in Genesis 37, 31 and 36. So they took Joseph's tunic. We're going to get a look at Joseph's brothers being deliberately dishonest to Jacob, deliberately omitting something that happened and allowing Jacob to be misled. Take a look at me in verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic in many colors. That's Joseph's coat in many colors. And they brought it to their father and they said, We found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. Now, you know what happened? They put Joseph in a well. And, and inside that pit, they decided they're going to sell him into slavery. So, uh, uh, coming by, way far in group of people. Look at me in verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons, in verse 35, and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down to the graves of my son in mourning. Thus his father went for him. Now the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. They deliberately deceived Jacob. They deliberately misled Jacob. They deliberately omitted things to make themselves look better. Years ago, while preaching a revival of the church, Pastor pulled me aside one day and said, Josh, I'm to you. I thought, oh, my Lord, you're going to get me with a normal speech. Josh, you're too short. Josh, you're too fat. Josh, you're too loud. He pulled me aside and said, you've got a spiritual problem. How can I help you? He said, well, Pastor, last year we filed a tax. And like most churches, we are taxed to do. However, we received some money from the United States. 
We received some things we did not report. And now an audit is coming. An audit is coming. What am I supposed to do? I said, well, you need to repent. He said, well, everybody won't know we did wrong. And I was like, you want to come to see him? Like Joseph's brother, we want to keep it. So long as we're not blamed, it's going to be okay. Ooh, not me. Somebody here ever watched that movie, Christmas Story, you know, the kid with the BB gun that she was on Y'all remember that? It was on TV not too long ago, so I'm bringing it up. Remember? They tossed that kid in the stick of his tongue on that phone. They had to call the fire department and the cops come. And I love I love men in those days. They didn't wait for somebody to show up with a cup of hot water to pull on there. No, they just ripped the kid's tongue out. Put a big old band-aid on it. And the teacher started shaming the class. So I knew she said, Shame on y'all. Shame on you. Whoever did this has to live with the guilt. And little Ralphie would have put down on death and was like, uh, she's absolutely wrong. We all know it's better not to get caught. <laughs> See, we do that with God all the time. We do it with God all the time. God doesn't know. I want you to know God does. The Bible tells us that our sin will find us. The Bible tells us the day the soul sins, it shall surely die. The Bible tells us that we, when we sin, we are disobedient to God. We defy God, and we're dishonest with God. And incidentally, as Christians, even when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, in the year 2024, our challenges are coming. We're going to be challenged to be obedient to the work of being disobedient. You see what the challenge is right now? You might say, Pastor, how, how are we going to be challenged to be disobedient or make us friends with the world? You ever stop to look at what happened with YMCA? Remember the Young Men's Christian Association? How about the Boy Scouts of America? Some of you were part of those wonderful organizations, and they were wonderful organizations. But through the years, they became disobedient to their calling. Disobedient to their calling. What was their calling? To win Christians, to make disciples. They made partnerships with the world. Now, Christ is only in the name of the you make friendships with the world, you're not leaving Jesus on the throne. You're going to put the world on the throne. You become deliberately disobedient. How about when we defy God? I know what you said, but I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. I think that describes a modern church member right now. I know I'm supposed to be a witness. I know I'm supposed to be an evangelist. I know I'm supposed to share the gospel. But I don't want to do it because... I may have to debate. I may have to argue. I may have to defend what I believe. I want to remind you what the Bible says. It says, be ye ready in season. Help me out now. And out of season to give a defense. To hope you have. Of course, we also have a problem with the time. What me? You know what we do nowadays? I didn't mean for that to happen. Yes, you did. So I don't necessarily get the blame for it. I'm okay. So where are you in the spectrum? Remember how we started with David? How David committed adultery and murdered Uriah? And Nathan shows up and says, you're a murderer and you committed adultery. On top of that, just to remind you, you're a murderer. Why? Why? You know what's funny? David repents. Praise God. Nathan hits him with that. 
why? We fired the commandment of the Lord. And David responds in a miraculous way. He says, oh, he covered not. Oh, I sinned against God. Publicly. Publicly. Oh, I sinned against God in his throne. People ask me all the time, why didn't David call the man into God's own heart? Is it because he wrote the song? I think that's got something to do with it. People say, is it because he received God's spirit and went and killed Goliath? I think those are neat things too. But I think the main reason why he called the man into God's own heart is David was willing to repent to his soul. Want to be a man into God's own heart? Have you been a little bit disobedient lately? Perhaps now is the time to come and get it right with God. Perhaps you've been a little bit defiant. Now be the time to come. Perhaps you've been dishonest, not just with God, but with your family, with your friends, and you will come. What about you? When Jesus comes, I'm going to do well done now, good and faithful to Not tell him why you did it. Perhaps you say, Pastor, I need to come. Would you be willing to come right now? Are you willing to be called a man after God's own heart? How do you do that? By getting the Holy Spirit in you. You can't have that, though, until you become a Christian. How do you become a Christian? Well, the Bible tells us that you've got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You've got to believe in your heart. Would you be willing to do that? We're going to give you an opportunity to come. We're going to give you an invitation. He's spoken to you. Would you humble yourself and come? Perhaps you say, Pastor, I am a Christian, but I need to repent, especially before the Lord's Supper. Would you be willing to come this morning? I'd to say, Brother John, I need to be a part of a Bible-believing, Christ-preaching church. Would you be willing to come today in the United States? Whatever the case may be, we're going to have a word of prayer. He has spoken to you this morning. Would you humble yourself and come? Let's pray together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Oh, how thank you for your word. And I pray that you take charge right now. Lord, if there's anyone who needs to come to know this person, Lord and Savior, let him come. If there's anyone, Father God, who has been disobedient or defiant or dishonest with you, would you let him come, Lord God, and give their heart to you today? Or perhaps, Lord, as that one that needs that fellowship to be a part of our family, Baptist Church, would you let today be the day they come? And we give you the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As you come with this thing, let Jesus come into your heart and come this morning.
Tells us the book of First Timothy chapter eleven and verse twenty-three. For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "Eat, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me." At the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, "This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup." You do show the Lord's death till He comes. As we partake and we remember this morning of the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about the thorn on His head. Think about the curse God gave in the book of Genesis and the ground that brings forth thorns and thistles. How Jesus is taking that curse for us. Think about the spear in His side. And think about what came out of man's side and how God is redeemed. Think about the nails in his hand and how the hands reached out to pluck that fruit from the tree. Think about the nails through his feet and the parts of the blue Remember what he did for us. Remember how he redeemed us. So much.
and he had given thanks and break it. He said, take me to my body. It's broken for you. We do. We remember what you We remember your body broken. We remember by your stripes we broken. We remember cleansing.
Children said, Amen. Praise the Lord. In 30 years of ministry, it has been my tradition, it has been my pleasure to conclude every Lord's Supper service with the singing of the hymn. If you will read through the Gospels, you will find that as the disciples left the upper room that night, they sang a hymn. So I've often found it appropriate to conclude these services in the same way. It's been my tradition to sing the same song for 30 years. And Jesus loves me. This I know. Someone asked Brother Martin, Brother Glenn, would they? Lead us in that song. Let's let it be our closing prayer and let it be our closing hymn. Good morning.